Welcome to Girls' Room, where each week we unpack the foundational text of the 2010s, HBO's Girls. I'm Julia Gray, and with me I have my incredible co-host, Drew Haskins, and we also have a very, very special guest, dear friend Ooh. and Stereogum staff writer and music critic, James Reddig. Welcome to Hello Girls' there. Room. How you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great and excited to talk about the show. Me too. I am excited to talk about it with you. I feel like I've always known you to be um, a girls fan, maybe a, a, a wow. undercover girls fan. I feel like we've referenced the show to each other a number of times without really talking about it. I think that's true. That feels right. James, are you a day one fan? Yeah. Like, how did you get? I would say. I mean, at least work? season one. Um. So yeah, I started watching. How about your and um, it started in 2012. So I was a sophomore in college. Um, and I grew up in Jersey and went to school in Jersey. So I was always around the city. Um, so when it came out, it was very much like, this is what it's going to be like when I move to the city in two years. Um, and it wasn't like that. But then also, it sort of was. So, yeah. <laughs> How did it like... When you moved to the city, did you have girls in your mind or was it kind of in the background? Like, how did it compare to your expectations? I mean, I don't think it was in my mind. I don't think I was, like, consciously necessarily emulating anything that they were doing. Um, Sure. But I was also just, like, kind of doing the same sorts of things that they were doing because that's what everyone was doing that lived in Brooklyn at that time. Yeah, concerts and stupid parties and I don't know friend drama um all of that so yeah it was important to me especially like I don't know I think that as it went on like and like people like were being so like the discourse around it or whatever which I was unfortunately tuned into grew louder I kind of like stopped talking about like how much I was still enjoying the show but like I was always watching and like so we're like yeah everyone I know so it definitely seems like... like it's been safer to kind of stand in your truth now in 2022 as like a girl's fan. Like the pendulum really swung all the way back around. Yeah. Well, I think a part of it is like it was just so like current and like very much like, I don't know, um, a show that was taking place in like the present moment where like now you can kind of see it as more of an artifact of its time. Um, and I think like that distance is good for it because I think it like mostly holds up to scrutiny. So I, yeah. I also feel like no, 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 go ahead. You go, you go. I was just gonna say I feel like it as Lena Dunham kind of fell out of favor. It became kind of a oh, are we still allowed to like this show kind of thing? But I think yeah, it's 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 good to look at it in the rear view as kind of like you said, an artifact of its time and something that. You know, I mean, I don't know. How do you think it's aged when you kind of look at it? So I haven't rewatched it in a long time. Um, I had wild ambitions to like watch up to the episodes we're talking about tonight before we did this, but I did not. Mm -hmm. I watched the first one, which felt like everyone was a baby. And then I watched the two that we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. and they weren't as baby. Um, But yeah, I don't think I've rewatched it since like... I don't know. I probably rewatched it like in 2014 or 15 when I was in New York, like before like the final season or the final few seasons. And I think that was the last time I've really like mm-hmm. engaged with it on like a really deep level. But rewatching these few episodes made me want to go back and rewatch the whole thing. Yeah. yeah I have been having such a fun time rewatching the whole yeah. thing. It just like I feel yeah, like, I forgot just like how funny it was. Oh yeah. It really like, is. It's it's a comedy. Yeah, everything that like all the throwaway lines, they're just so sharp. And like, yeah, I'm cackling. There's some great ones yeah. in these two episodes. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's aged like pretty well. I am sure that there are rough patches, but like I also thought there were rough patches when I was watching it too. Like some of the plot lines just like don't work. Um, and I think there's, like, mm-hmm. at least one of them in, like, these two episodes that, like, doesn't really work. 
Um, but I also don't remember really how it started or where it's going. So maybe I would eat my words. <laughs> but yeah, season, season two is definitely a little bit more scattered than season one is just like comparing the two, having watched them back to back now. But like the humor really is such a constant through line for sure. Yeah. I think that's one of the things we've really kind of realized during this rewatch as we've been doing the show is just how funny it is and how it's just joke after joke. Yeah. Which I feel like is rare in a lot of the like, I don't know, quote unquote comedies nowadays. Like a lot of them are just like basically dramas. Yeah. Seriously. It's, I can't think of a show since Girls that's been able to kind of strike that balance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember who tweeted this a few years ago, but like a lot of comedy writing these days is just people reacting to things or being like, don't go over there. Like to actually see well-structured jokes and like throwaway lines in like, not to use this word, but like a dramedy is impressive. Like people kind of forgot how to do this. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, before we dive into the episodes, though, we ask every guest, James, which yes. girl are you? Uh, okay, I was so ready for this, and I don't have a good answer. <laughs> I think I think <laughs> I'm probably half Shoshana and half Hannah. Um, mm-hmm. And then I told my boyfriend that, and he yeah. said, you also have to say you're a little Marnie, because you're uptight. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but he said it in a good way, but she's like in a psycho way, so that made me feel better. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I, I like, if I remember correctly, like where Shosha's character goes, I would like my life to like kind mm-hmm. of follow that path and not like necessarily a Hannah path of like self-destructive behavior. Yeah. I mean, James, from the outside looking in, I'm not going to lie. My initial thought was like a little Marnie, not because you're, oh my God. not because you're uptight, but just because you, you like there, I, I can't. I can't pick it out. There's something about the, like, it's a knowing look, if you know what I mean. Okay. No, I get that. And, like, I I don't think I want to see the Marnie within myself. That's still too raw, but it's definitely there. I feel like... There is no shame in being a Marnie, though. Like, as a... I'm fully standing in it now. Like, I I am a Marnie. Like, if you had told me this six weeks ago, I would have been so mad. But, like, I am... I'm fully in it now. I'm not finding her super uptight rewatching the show. Like, she's definitely the most straight-laced of them, but, like, I don't think she's this, like, scold that a lot of people kind of, like, have in their minds when they think of her character. I would agree with that, yeah. And, like, I also think that she's yeah. also just, like, in the face of, like, Hannah's insanity, for the most part, like, normal. And I don't think it's, like, a bad thing to be normal. Um mm-hmm. I pride myself on being mostly normal, I guess. Um, so yeah, I guess it's a Marnie thing to say in me. So, wow, a true college show. Wow, okay. The Marnie jumped out. <laughs> it took a wild turn there. And which girl's boy is your boyfriend, or which who, oh, who, who would you uh, shack up with if you were on the show, girls? Like Ray. Yeah, I think. But doesn't Ray get, like, fucked up at some point and, like, not nice? I can't really remember. I mean, he... I, I, it depends on how you look at it. Like, the Ray in this episode was sweet, or, like, one of the episodes was sweet and, like, kind of pathetic, but, like, that's my type. So. And that's so interesting that you say that because every episode until now, I've said Ray's is my girl's boyfriend. And this is when I, for this week at least, I'm hopping off wow. the train and switching to Charlie. Oh, I'm switching to Charlie. To Charlie. Oof. Okay. One week and one week only. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> one week only. Because special. I like his, he figured out his hair, facial hair combo. And I, I mean, we'll get into it, but like, I don't know why placing him in relation to Audrey Gelman makes me like him so much more, but I was really liking him this week. Okay. I mean, 
I'm being, I'm being so crazy, but like it's it's true. Like I have to be honest. Like this podcast would be nothing if like we were not honest about how we felt. That is that is true. You're speaking your truth, and honestly, there are. I don't know. Just like Marnie is kind of the straight man, she's the she's maybe the more most normal. Charlie is also the most normal, which is um, a strength and a weakness. I'd say. When you place two, like, ostensibly normal people in conversation with each other, like, I don't think it necessarily is good for, like, you know, fostering a relationship. But, like, I do kind of like them as will-they-won't-they friends. And, I mean, we'll get we'll yeah. get into it a little bit more. But I don't know. I like this dynamic a lot more when he's not, like, simping for Marnie because, like, and I, I say this as a Marnie stan, like, simping for Marnie is not a good look. Certainly not. Who's your your girl's boy, Julia? That's an amazing... Wait, why don't you guess? I I feel like you're going to say Adam Driver. Yeah, you know me. Yeah. (laughs) True. Why? Okay, why is... I mean, I don't know. He's the hottest. That's the one. And then, I mean, I... The person I relate to most on the show, I guess, is Hannah. Like, you know... I know that kind of paints me in an unflattering light, but again, honesty first. And I can see in what I can see a world in which I'm like, you know, attracted to this weird kind of attention that Adam brings to the table. This kind of like murdery vibe. Okay. <laughs> Not the it's, current world, but I can see a world in which. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I get it, but I would steer far away if I were you. <laughs> yeah i we did close out last episode with him getting arrested for breaking into hannah's house like it's not oh my God, that's, the vibes are not yeah great i forgot him. about that that's crazy that was a crazy moment i will say i kind of did not notice if he was gone in the two episodes that we watched yeah i didn't mind that he wasn't there i mean also upon reflection i mean maybe my more realistic answer would be ray yeah, but he he's the people's choice. Yeah. <laughs> the people's choice award goes to Ray. <laughs> um, wait, before we go, Drew, do you want to share your girl's boyfriend before we? Well, go I mean, yeah, I am usually a Ray, but um, this week Charlie is is the one for me. And Drew, do you want to introduce the first episode so I can um, take a bite of my Indian food? Oh, yes. The first of our our interactive crunch segment. So last episode, Hannah and Sandy, played by Donald Glover, break up after having a, like, pretty charged fight about her writing and race relations. And it is sort of a clumsy exchange, but it is very, like, it is funny. But we've forgotten about him and girls never mentions uh, him again. Um, Elijah breaks up with his boyfriend after sleeping with Marnie, who gets a job as a cocktail waitress. And Jess uh, and Shosh are kind of settling into their respective relationships, both of which take interesting new turns in the two episodes we watched tonight. That was a great intro. And my chicken tikka masala is really good. Um, Thank you. (laughs) But... Yeah, I think we can start. Okay, first of all, I do think it's interesting that they don't mention Sandy like ever again. The Donald Glover character. Yeah, well, I, I think that's like probably one of the worst parts of this show. I mean, I think that one of the main criticisms of Girls after season one that I was just so white and like the way that Lena Dunham responded to that was to have like a black character in two episodes of the show. And then never, and essentially, and then never speak of him again. Yeah, it's a bad look, Um, but it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. I feel like, yeah, we talked about that a bit on the last episode. How maybe it was her point to kind of like poke fun at herself, but regardless, a little sloppy. Um, Yeah, but I think we maybe we can start with like Hannah's plot line in this episode. Um, She starts with an interview with a woman named Jame about a freelance job at a blog called Jazz Hate. (laughs) 
perfect, perfect. Very, very like Jezebel Buzzfeed. Yeah. Um, and she suggests that Hannah does a whole bunch of coke and then writes about it for two hundred dollars. For two hundred dollars, which you know the rates haven't changed for those types no, of pieces, unfortunately. Exactly. I really loved this opening scene. I love the your ma- the magic happens outside your comfort zone moment. I thought it was so funny. Also, just like seeing Hannah, this aspiring writer, kind of uh, fall into this freelance gig economy, like begging for a two hundred dollar article spot. Yeah. So I mean. I think it's funny in that, like, in many different ways. One, that, mm-hmm. like, there's, like, definitely a disconnect between, like, Hannah, who's, like, the quote-unquote writer, and, like, this woman, who, like, I guess is an editor, but, like, doesn't really strike me as an editor. She feels, like, more like management or something. That is kind of just, like, hey, like, welcome to the office. Oh, okay. Like, here's what you could do. And then I also love that Hannah, like, doesn't have an original idea of her own. Like, this woman's just giving, like, hypothetical examples. And she's, like you could like do cocaine. And she's like, I've never done cocaine. And then like, that's the only thing she thinks of, which feels very true to life of someone of Hannah's type. It also kind of, we've been talking about this a lot also, how like, is Hannah a good writer? We never kind of figure that out. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think what we know is she's like an entitled writer. Like she thinks that she should just be able to get these gigs and you know, I don't know, yes. being a writer's heart and like uh. <laughs> <laughs> true. I mean, being the writer she the kind of writer she wants to be and making money from it is hard. Yeah. You know, like being a working artist. I think we we kind of see over these two episodes that one of her main problems is that she's just so fundamentally not a curious person and her her worldview like for as much as she like tries to like do it for the plot like she just has no interest in being outside of her limits mm-hmm. outside of her comfort zone yeah and i mean not like even in this episode where she does go outside of her comfort zone like she relies on elijah as a crutch like she goes to a rave like there are all these beats that we've seen her do already she's just doing it in like an altered state Mm-hmm. yeah and i think yeah she's just like not the kind of person to ask questions she's kind of the person to like make assumptions which like doesn't work when you're like trying to do i don't know or i guess it does work in the sense of like what she's trying to write is like an article about like her first experience doing coke but it's like that's not actually that interesting but that was also so what all writing online was mm-hmm. like that and like in that era which was like just about your personal experience yeah, and she, like, basically, like, she says something Personal about, like, essay. exposing, like, all her, like, vulnerabilities to the internet or whatever for money. Yeah, and it's, like, does anyone want to read Exactly. That? Well, there was an era where, like, it felt like people wanted to read that, and that's, like, what these sites were doing. We're, like, mm-hmm. we'll pay you $200 to, like, talk about your trauma, which just sucks. Yeah. yeah. But then, like, when she is confronted by someone who actually has like drug related trauma. Like we meet Laird, her downstairs neighbor, who's a former junkie who hangs out by the mailbox. Like he's clearly a dark passenger. Like he, he is not well, like he's been harrowed by his experience. He has like a fridge full of palm, which I thought was a very funny touch, but like, yeah. He says I'm an addict. (laughs) But she has like no idea how to actually interact with him because um, it, it's just such like a foreign experience to her like she can't even empathize really outside of using him for like this like stereotype that she thinks he is mm-hmm. definitely and when, he's, when she says like oh he says he's clean and she says I'm sorry you didn't look clean <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean uh, it's completely so bad it's being like confronted with these uncomfortable things and not being able to see outside of her quirky little bubble yeah um and then like you said she relies on elijah as a crutch kind of through this coke episode um but such a good scene there 
when they're doing coke at 4 p.m. <laughs> writing, on, I writing on the walls. Oh, my God. When she writes, like, his dream on the wall, that's so funny. Uh-huh. And his dream is um, to raise show dogs. Yeah. Moment. I mean, I don't know. Honestly, it's a bit much in the way that TV shows depicting, like, being drunk or being high are always a bit much. But also, not the worst depiction of being on coke. I thought the motor mouth of it all really made sense to me. Like, once they actually got to the party, then I was like, okay, like, this is just, like, insert generic drug trip here. But, like, that idea spitballing and, like, writing on the walls, I was like, yeah, like, that's pretty. Yeah, once once they got to the club, it felt more like they were taking, like, Molly. Yeah, which is, like... And then it was like, that's not the same thing. No. But that's okay. I did like when they were doing lines off the toilet bowl. That was disgusting, but also very New York. Yes, so disgusting. That whole scene has really imprinted on me for whatever reason. Like, Mm -hmm. because I think the yellow fishnet top and her like dancing with the guy who has the side ponytail, I was like, that really stuck with me. And then the needle drops on this show always really get me. Like, that that was the first time I'd heard I Love It by Icona Pop, I think, Mm -hmm. out in the wild. And then. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a timeless hit these days. But, like, I learned about that song through Girls, and that is, like, the defining party scene from this show to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that music choice is so good. And very much like you're in 2013 New York, because that was playing literally everywhere. Also, just, like, the... It is very, like, comedy, very almost 30 rock that they're going to a rave and the DJ is called, or it's two DJs called Andrew Andrew. They're both named Andrew. (laughs) I just thought that was, like, so funny and so kind of classic of the show. Um, And another kind of line that has been imprinted in my brain is when Elijah's like, uh, (laughs) this outfit... Reminds me of a girl who slept with not just her, uh, what did he say? Not just her uncle, but also her stepdad. It's called power <laughs> clashing. <laughs> so funny. That, that outfit's not good. No, it's so but, bad. She's wearing, I, she's wearing two different, like, not matching prints. The top is, like, fruit, and the bottom is something yeah. else. They're, they're both, like, it, it, they're both cherry print things. It's, like, dual, dueling cherry print. But, like, it looks so mismatched. Oh, way. oh my God. I continue, I, like, I continue to love Elijah. Andrew mm-hmm. Randall's is such, like, a comedic weapon on the show. Yeah, he's he's great in this episode, especially. Yeah, like when he um, when they're doing coke on the toilet, and he says, "I usually hate when you have your nipples out in public like that, but you look so beautiful." <laughs> like, really killed me. For real. And then him quoting Greece when he reveals that he fucked Marnie. Like I just it, it, bliss. <laughs> also, the quote is like not even a iconic quote what is it like there are worse things i can do (laughs) um yeah that i mean that's a big moment we should get into though when elijah reveals he fucked marnie because that's kind of the the climax of the episode yeah um i mean i feel that's so true to any coke experience that like everything starts out fun and then like someone says something they like shouldn't Mm mm-hmm and exactly. then it spirals into like something very dark and negative, um, which is basically what happens here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. From this point, it's all downhill. They go to see Marnie at um, at Booth Jonathan. So maybe we should switch to Marnie's. Yeah. yeah. And then meet back at this climax. Okay. Climax. It was nice to see Booth Jonathan again. Like, Yorma Tacone was so funny in season one, and he comes in real hot this episode, <laughs> um, calling Marnie Maddie while she's being, like, groped by old dudes at this, like, I could, I can't really tell the vibe at the restaurant she's working at. Like, was that sort of, like, upscale Hooters uniform a big thing in New York at that point? I think it's supposed to be, like, old school New York, just, like, where, like, the old, like, 
guys go to like flirt with like young girls who like need to be there and they like, just like drink whiskey and be whatever. I'm sure that it exists. Yeah, that definitely still exists. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think this moment is just, I don't know, Marty kind of being tossed from, I mean, this experience she's having with these men at the restaurant where she's kind of, yeah, paid to be there and flirt with these rich men. And then going off to Booth Jonathan where it's it's almost the same thing, but I don't know, she's like attracted to his power. So I don't know, she's just becoming more and more vulnerable um, as a character with each episode this season. Although she, she kind of gets her power back here. Well, yes and no. Like I, not to like spoil the next episode, but I was really surprised when she was like, I'm with Booth Jonathan now. Cause mm-hmm. I kind of, A, forgot about that like plot development. And this definitely seems like a negative interaction for her and not one that I would have thought that she would have done again. But yeah. Also, yeah. like, are you with him? You know, I don't know. She, maybe she's a bit delusional. Yeah, or that she might just be saying that to like piss off Charlie yeah. in the moment too. But we were- yeah, this whole experience is like gross. And like, it, I feel like the episode is kind of weird and it doesn't really treat it as that gross. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, that's fine. I don't know. Yeah. So it, she, oh, go ahead. No, go. Um, she runs into Booth Jonathan while she's at this job. I don't think we went into it. Um, and, they go back to his apartment. He lives in this old post office, <laughs> like this insane apartment, of course. And he's showing Marnie his interactive installation that p- plays this horrifying footage of dogs and like guts, <laughs> um, playing this kind of like grunge 90s song in the background. And she's locked in there, which just feels like another kind of just his absurd art that makes him important for some reason is just kind of i don't know brought to the forefront like how like he's he's just some stupid new york artist that wields all this uh power over her and just in the situation but she gets out of this installation and she's like you're so fucking talented and then from there i think it goes to the sex scene where he's (laughs) <laughs> like makes her look at this demented doll while they're having sex. Yeah, it was very Annabelle. Like this season really does feel like um compared to last season's more like realistic depiction of bad sex, let's say. Like this season feels like a like escalating provocations. Like Lena was like, oh y'all thought what that was bad. <laughs> let's see what the, uh, my sickos in the writing room can come up with this year and this was like just demented to me <laughs> like totally demented yeah I, I totally agree I feel like that is something that Lena's really good at is just writing these sex scenes that aren't they're like stupid and embarrassing and weird like it's it's not I don't think there's a single good sex scene in all of girls well, actually, I, the episode that we're covering next week, one of them, has some genuinely tender sex scenes in it. Not to spoil it, but the Patrick Wilson episode. Okay, you're right. We'll, we'll have to... Wow, I forgot that episode's right around the corner. Um, but, yeah, this is just... I don't know. After they have sex, Marnie just cracks up because it was... <laughs> yeah a bizarre a bizarre scene he says um i I don't want to not touch on this he says look at the doll describe her and marnie says she feels uh sassy (laughs) (laughs) so funny um but after this they're hanging in the kitchen talking about some like weird pseudo intellectual bullshit he's talking about oh like you don't get it because you were born in the or if you were born in the late 80s you would understand and then they're conversation is cut off by Mar or Hannah and Elijah and um what's Laird. It? Laird all at the door um they pick up Laird along the way because Laird is uh 
kind of following Hannah to make sure she stays safe. We forgot to mention that. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the drugstore. And it's like very <laughs> sad, but also kind of sweet. It is very sad, but also sweet. And dark. Like he gets yeah. a bag of heroin that he also purchased at the same time, like, which isn't really touched upon in this episode, but it's just, it's another byproduct of Hannah putting so many other people at like emotional and physical risk, like mm-hmm. because yeah. she can't see past the end of her own nose. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting just because we're talking about these two episodes back to back that like they treat the heroin as like something that they would never do. And then Jessa in the next episode talks about how she went to rehab because she was addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, continue. Just thought that was an interesting connection. Definitely. Um, but yeah, they're led into Booth Jonathan's home and Hannah is yelling at Marnie saying, you are the bad friend. Like you didn't tell me you had sex with Elijah, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And that is, I mean, kind of the, another breaking point for these two friends and another like high point in the episode. And then, yeah, she makes Elijah move out and leaves with Laird. (laughs) Yeah. And then has like sleeps with him, which is like a choice. Yeah. And like... It's a very choice. Yeah, it's a very selfish one in that like Laird is so clearly would clearly say yes. Mm-hmm. And she just like felt like she was like so out of control in her relationship with Marnie that she like needed to be in control with someone else. Yeah, I mean it's she's she's not looking good. Yeah. In these in this episode, I feel like yeah, I, I guess I, I didn't even really connect the dots with the Laird thing that he purchased the H when he purchased the Coke for Hannah. So it's yeah. just really rough. Yeah, bad luck for Hannah. Which bad luck. is a lot of girls, unfortunately, or it, it, it's sort of the point of the show. <laughs> yeah, they should rename it Bad Looks. Um, I, I think that's pretty much it for... Oh, no. We no, I think that's pretty much it for the episode. Shows yeah. that Jessa don't have that much going on here. Yeah, it's interesting that they were well, they have like the stoop sale, which is the only time you see them. Yeah. Just a um, funny moment. Yeah, weird. <laughs> um, but I think we can get into the next episode, season two, episode four. Yeah, who do you want to start with? Because this is one of the rare episodes, at least in the full batch that we've covered so far where all four of the girls feel like they got kind of equal shrift um hmm that, that's that maybe good... maybe well hannah hannah doesn't do much this episode want to just start with her yeah sure okay so she helps elijah move out mm-hmm. calls him i think like she has her bare ass on the chair claiming it because all the <laughs> furniture that um he brought over like George paid for, so she's keeping all of that. It just like she is just so needlessly cruel. Yeah, I think that yeah. definitely becomes clear. It uh, feels like kicking Elijah out is like a big overreaction to the situation. It does, like, um, yeah, especially because it seems like they get along so much better than she and Marnie do as roommates. Like, it really. Yeah, it's a huge overreaction. It's also not about her, you know? And it's she he's more of a friend to her now than an ex-boyfriend. So yeah. I don't know. It, it's a weird move. Um and I mean it's also a weird move to have Marnie come over to this dinner party that she throws that she A like invites her but like doesn't think that she's actually gonna come to. And she invites Charlie and Audrey. Audrey is wearing her, like, most insane outfit we've seen her in to date. And Ray and Shosh. Like, it's just, it's an odd crew. It's a, it's bizarre. I mean, she's clearly trying to stir the pot. You know, you wouldn't invite this exact arrangement of people if you weren't trying to yeah. stir a pot. Well, the sad thing is also she's, like, she doesn't have any other friends. That's like, also so. Who yeah. is she going to throw her party for her, like, $200 freelance article with? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's true. I, I 
the episode is like not mainly i guess there are a few places that the episode takes place and one of them is hannah's dinner party <laughs> where she she like is having trouble making noodles <laughs> she says noodles are so hard to make <laughs> very funny oh my god um, audrey gelman continues to be a comedic genius on the show i'm sorry to say like her like delivery of like my friend shelby and i are starting a mustard company and like <laughs> Her her and Marnie's, like, passive-aggressive sniping at each other is, mm-hmm. like, I... Okay, can I ask some insight, like, some tea here? Because I was trying to Google earlier. Why did Audrey Goldman and Lena stop being friends? I, I honestly... Think, yeah, I, I don't, don't know. know. Well, I know, I know that Audrey got in hot water for, like, her stuff with, like, the wing. Mm-hmm. So maybe something related to that. But yeah. the rough timeline I could gather was in 2016, Lena was a bridesmaid at Audrey Gelman's wedding. Oh, wow. One of the co-founders of Genius, which is crazy to me. And then in 2017, during the last season, there's that episode where they all go to the, like, feminist workspace. Mm-hmm. Clearly based off the wing. And it's like a really like derisive look at an organization like that. So like I'm I'm wondering what happened in like six months essentially that would have precipitated all that. I don't know, but we need some boots on the ground reporting. Yes. If you know anything, please write in because I'm fascinated by all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, though, I could see it be a thing where they just fell out of touch because they're, they seem like such different people. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of Lena's collaborators and safety nets from that time are no longer in the picture. Like, we've talked about Jenny Connor and how Jenny Connor's not really working with her anymore. Like, I think Lena's only friend from this period is Taylor still. Yeah, one one has to wonder. I did see on IMDb when I was like looking up the cast for everything that at the stoop sale, one of the customers is none other than Rachel Antonoff, which I thought was a fun brag. Oh That's amazing. Um, let's talk about Marnie at this dinner party. Yes. So Marnie comes in and it's she sees her ex and his new girlfriend sitting right there and she's like totally taken off guard. Bad move on Hannah's part, inviting all of them and telling no one. Um, but yeah. I, I, yeah, I love that her first move is she doesn't say a fucking word. She like brings in a bottle of wine and she just like goes to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what so, it's so funny. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Uh, I, uh, God, it's, she's funny. But they, they seem to eventually have an okay time because they're all sitting at the table. Um, Marnie asks where, <laughs> where Audrey gets her headbands. <laughs> and um, the word butthole comes up and it, uh, it is revealed that that's Marnie's trigger word. She hates that word, like how some people hate ointment or whatever. Um, and then it triggers Audrey. I, I don't know what her name is in the show. Is it Audrey in the show as well? Yeah. Um, it triggers Audrey and says, well, clearly you're still thinking about Charlie and da-da-da. And she comes out that Marnie went over to Charlie's in one of the last episodes to just like sleep next to a warm body after she had a hard night. Um, And then uh, Marnie storms out and Charlie storms out after her. Yeah, that dinner scene is so funny. And also like fucked up. The the funniest thing or like most fucked up thing that Hannah says is when she's like, when uh, Audrey is like, you like showed up in the middle of the night. I'm like, you couldn't say no because like 
he like thought you would slit your wrists. And then <laughs> Hannah's like, she's too self-involved to commit suicide. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I love that. Another good line. Um, I, I don't remember what uh, what is said before this, but I think Hannah or Marty says something about uh, Hannah not being an adult because she like you should have told me that they were going to be here. And then Hannah goes, "Excuse me, I am grown up. That's why I cooked all this food." <laughs> and she's like, barely barely has cooked noodles on the plate. The other line from this. Um, like the dinner scene that really tickled me was just the silence and then Shosh being like, what's a butt plug? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah, at, out on the roof, because Charlie storms out after Marnie, Marnie's on the roof. Um, Charlie tries to kiss Marnie and then Marnie shies away and says she's seeing someone. So that's kind of... Um, where we're left off it's clear that charlie is not happy in his relationship but marnie has kind of moved on at least a little bit yeah also do we want to go to shoshin ray just uh yeah let's let's go to shoshin ray and then we'll end with jessa she i think she has the biggest uh roller coaster this episode yeah the jessa stuff was hard to watch i mean so is the shoshin ray stuff to an extent like we start off kind of late when they arrive for dinner and Shosha's like stammering out all these excuses why they're late. And Ray's like, we're late because we had sex. And then five seconds of silence. I'm sorry, I totally lied to you all. Like, Zosha Mamet is a master of delivery. Continues to be. And then we have, I mean, yeah, also just, she didn't need to make up an excuse, but also Ray didn't need to be like, <laughs> you know, he could have just let her spin her wheels. Yeah, um, it's, like, it's like the one moment of the episode I didn't like, Ray, because it was just, like, unnecessary. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. Shosh wouldn't be the kind of person to be comfortable with, like, telling them that, like, at a party. Like, it should just be, like, their own, like, private yeah. thing that they did before the party, and that's why they were late, you know? Exactly. So, I didn't like that about Ray. No, it was not. Not cool. Um, it is very shosh of her to like not be mad at him, but just respond with like unfettered honesty. Like she is such a chronic ple- people pleaser that she's gonna like get mad at herself for not being honest to other people rather than actually being mad at the person who puts her on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, in this at the dinner party, shosh kind of realizes that Ray is essentially homeless and living with her. Um, because Hannah asks about his place in Borum Hill. Are you still there? What happened to it? Um, and then, of course, Hannah pressing. He's like, yeah, right now I'm between places. And Hannah goes, well, between where and where? <laughs> Which I guess is like, yeah, that's fair. But <laughs> she really, she asks him like four times, though. It's like very uncomfortable. Like he clearly uh-huh. didn't want to talk about it. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, that's just, yeah. And Shosh goes, oh my god, do you live with me? And then, um, yeah, she realizes that she has a live-in boyfriend and he doesn't really, I mean, when he's not with her, he's in his Mitsubishi. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I was texting James before about how we both cried at the, well, maybe James at your first watch. I I cried both times, this time included. When yeah. Oh God, so so sad when they're sitting at the subway stop, and um, just kind of, you know, it, it's Ray's flaws have been laid bare. He says, "I'm a loser. Like you didn't think I was counting down the days until you figured that out. I don't have a lot going on." And they both say that they love each other, and it's a really, a really sad, really sweet moment. Yeah, like the line from this exchange that always gets me is you should have more passions and interests and things that you do. Like it's such a simply written line by Lena, but one that like cuts so deep in like how aimless people can feel at this age. Like I I don't know. Just she is she is such an incisive writer. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I also feel like it's it's very they're kind of on both ends of the extreme. Like Shosh has this wide-eyed wonder of a young, you know, twenty-something, uh, you know, thinking that people should have their shit all should have their shit together, and the, she wants the man that she dates to have passions and to have a great job and blah blah blah. And then there's Ray, who's kind of aging out of aimlessness. You know, it's not cute anymore, and now he's realizing oh shit i you know i'm a total nihilist and i don't have much going on yeah i don't think i realized that ray was 33 mm -hmm. and then i googled alex karpovsky's age and he was like fully 38 during this season yeah which i i guess i just didn't realize i didn't know that either um but yeah, do we want to talk about Jessa or do we have anything else for Shosh and Ray? Um, well, yeah, I think the one thing I would say is that, like, it can be hard when you're in a relationship, especially, like, with someone that, like, seems, like, as put together mm -hmm. as Shosh is, that, like, it makes you feel, like, all the more worse, like, even though you're, like, getting so much out of the relationship and, like, obviously shows like makes ray so much happier but also like more depressed and sadder in a way because he like can't meet her on that level and i think that's what's kind of like sad and like i don't know real about their relationship definitely and, yeah kind of beautiful but also you know has its problems but yeah speaking of relationships that have their problems Ooh. Jessa and Thomas John really, oh, I think such a great episode for them and their relationship. I mean, not great for their relationship, but a great look into like who these two people are and why they're together and why they should not be. Yes. Um, yeah. This was all so uncomfortable to watch. Like, I... So, I mean, they, they start, the episode starts with them, like, getting ready to go grab lunch or dinner with Thomas John's parents, mm -hmm. um, who were not invited to the wedding and, like, have never met Jessa before. Um, the casting, once again, perfect. Like, the dad's played for, by Griffin Dunn from After Hours, and the mom is played by Deborah Rush from Strangers with Candy, which, like, I'm always thrilled to see her and stuff. So good. But they they go to this restaurant. Jessa looks. Her hair has this crimped and with chopsticks sticking out of them. She she looks uh, like an eccentric Brooklyn girly. Yeah. But she, Nicki Minaj saw this episode and wrote Chun Li <laughs> like about her. Um, but I mean, Jessa just makes herself so unappealing. She says. The, like the first thing she says to them when they walk in is I hate this restaurant but I don't even care because I'm so happy to meet you guys and just after that it's uh, you know gaff after gaff she's like commandeering conversation at the table and being so just out of line talking about when she went to rehab for heroin addiction and <laughs> it's it's really rough to watch and like to her credit she is getting like berated by Thomas John's mom. Like she's not really well equipped to deal with this kind of like waspy patrician energy. Like it's just, it's so foreign to her. And it's, I mean, like we kind of get the backstory of like her mom was another kind of aimless absent figure and she's sort of continuing down that path. So like Thomas John's family life is like very much not something that she's equipped to deal with. And then his dad's kind of a perv, so that's not great either. <laughs> so funny. He's, what does he say? He says, like, I've always wondered about heroin. And um, <laughs> at one point, you know what I love? Wait, and I think I wrote it down somewhere. He said, I love movies about schoolgirls who fall in love. <laughs> I am also now realizing that this combo of people, um, did y'all watch Search Party? Mm -hmm. season four so they play cola school as parents in search party too oh that's so funny like this the They're cinnamon bun factory people crazy um 
Thomas John's mom eventually kind of calls Jessa out and set, calls her a gold digger, basically, without saying that. Um, she says, wow, you've really found yourself in a, like, fortunate situation with Thomas John. He's this, you know, venture capitalist who makes all this money, and you're just a, an artist. I haven't heard you talk about work. And then the, the two of them are just sort of head to head at the dinner while the dad is, um, you know, being drunk and pervy and Thomas John is trying to, I don't know, get cover ground where he can. He says, uh, what is, Jessa says, I never shot uh, heroin. I only snorted it. Like, that's important. And Thomas John comes in and goes, yeah, like an Advil. <laughs> <Very funny. laughs> But yeah, it's a it's it's a really rough scene that leads to an even rougher, uh, you know, all out brawl at Thomas John's apartment. Yeah, they're instantly at each other's throats. And it's clear that like things have not been going well for a while, like the puppies that he got her. And one of the episodes we watched last week have since been returned to the pet store like the sex doesn't seem like it's like going anywhere mm -hmm. oh yeah this was this was really really rough like toxic on both sides yeah i it also just touches on i don't know just the kind of people they are i feel like jess is this um i don't know this like free people hippie you know like someone who who claims to live this kind of uh, bohemian lifestyle, but is really just, I mean, she is, she's with Thomas John for a reason. And I don't know, he says, um, I'm a need, like, I'm, what does he say? I'm a fucking unicorn. You're so lucky you shacked up with me, blah, blah, blah. You're just some dumb fucking hipster who's munching my hay. I'm a needle in a haystack. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that Jess is a gold digger, but like, I do think she's, she like leeches on to other people's experiences just to collect them. Like, like all the gold digger accusations that he and his parents were like leveling at her during this episode didn't, I mean, I don't think that's really who she is, but like, she also doesn't really know who or what she is. I think the gold digger thing is probably more reflective of like their fears and the fears of those kind of, people you know the they're always worried someone else is only talking to them because they want something or they want their money yeah and he he during the fight mentions like that he goes to sex workers a lot and like likes them because it's so the transitional relationship is so limited to like a one-time experience and he's just not he can't really handle like doing this long term like he doesn't know how to how to deal with it mm -hmm. and he says like they respect me and they don't compliment my apartment and then say something under their breath about how it like sucks <laughs> i think he said gay entourage um and then it kind of the scene culminates when he says you're my worst nightmare which is really just that's it that's it you know yeah. and then he says you're a whore with no work ethic which is such a crazy burn oh i don't know but i don't know jessa said some crazy things right before that that i understand why he escalated it oh, there yeah, said, yeah. oh go ahead she, no I, I have it written down he says she calls him some scared guy who didn't get laid till he was 16 and then tells her she's embarrassed when I walk down the street with you because you're so average. Like, that's fucking insane. Yeah. And then she says, sometimes I, I tell my friends you are a test tube baby. Oh my God. So you have some edge. <laughs> Ugh, so. so like, I don't think like, I don't know. His reaction was obviously off. Like what he said was awful. But like, yeah, that's how like sometimes like toxic relationships work is like you just find like the meanest thing you can say to a person exactly and then it escalates to like a point where someone punches the other one yeah i think they were both even you know no one was bigger or smaller than the other um yeah the, the punching definitely takes it to a certain place and then oh. then it's like point of no return fully. yeah 
Um, and then he says, how much, how much, how much for you to get out of my life? What do I need to pay you? And she starts at 30,000 and then they, they meet in the middle, which is 11,000 and a half. <laughs> this oh also really showed how naive Jessa is because you know, she, if she'd actually like gone to court with all of this, I'm sure she could have gotten like a million. Like she has no real world experience and has no idea how to like properly value herself. Mm-hmm. Like no idea how this like divorce system works. And she like totally lowballs. Like eleven thousand dollars is not in the grand scheme of things. That's not a lot of money, especially for a divorce settlement. Yeah, and especially for some guy who made out like bank for like the two thousand eight financial crisis. He's apparently the only one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, that's a really good point. Yeah, but I would also like to think like I don't think Jessa is like a monster. I think on some affection, she's like feeling very hurt, and like also has some level of feeling still residual from like the person that she's like actively still married to yeah. that I don't think she like really like wanted money. Right. But like, because he like asked, like obviously she was going to come up with the number in the moment because like, that's how he did the argument was, which yeah. is why like she counters like at like 11 five because mm-hmm. like she, she doesn't care. She just wants to get another burn. She says like, because I like did things that like I didn't want to like whatever the hell she says after that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, and we, we kind of see after this another tearjerker. We see Jessa break down, you know, because like you said, she she does still have some, you know, feelings and it, she's not a monster. So she goes to Hannah's and she gets in the tub with her. Hannah's singing Wonderwall. <laughs> a really sweet moment where Jess is crying and Hannah gives her shit for doing a snot, snot rocket in the tub. And it, it, I don't know, it's a, one of my favorite moments of the show. And it really just shows how girls is about friendship and like how these are the most important bonds in at this point in your life or your friends and not necessarily your uh, romantic partners. Yeah. Just a sweet moment. I, you know, again, cried at that scene too. Yeah, that's a tearjerker. Yeah. But I also didn't like when Hannah said that she pees in every tub she gets oh, into. What does that mean? Wild. Like, with the water in it? Yeah. Like, and you just sit there? <laughs> so gross. Oh. But it feels like very Hannah. It is very Hannah. She said not even I would do that. I mean, the snot rock is yeah. a step too far. I, I think see, season two kind of does do a good job of showing that, like, the times when Hannah is most herself and most in touch with herself are when she's being kind of gross. Like not, I don't remember the exact context for like later in the season, but like I always think of the Q-tip scene with season two, like just body horror, but like that is like very um, just like Hannah, like or the only time she's in touch with her body is when she's like being weird with it. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, I forgot about the Q-tip scene. Or, like, I didn't forget about it. I forgot that it came so soon, I should say. I think about it every time I use a Q-tip for my ears. Same. It's so harrowing. The the end of... We'll get there in a few weeks, but the end of season two is so harrowing. Oh, my God. Ugh. Um, Should we get into our final segment, or do we have any other notes about these episodes? I'm not getting into the final. James, do you have anything? I, I have one thing that I thought was interesting that we can bring up and then leave on the floor is that I, I thought it was interesting. I, I didn't, and I'd never really thought about it this way before. And maybe because we're just kind of watching it in its own individual segment, but like the second episode, like the relation, like the connection between like the Ray and Shoshana situation and like Jessa's marriage is that like, they're both like kind of, dealing with, like, the financial implications of being in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Where, like, in Shosha's situation, Ray is the one that doesn't have any money. And, like, he's kind of viewed as, like, pathetic and sad and someone, like, worth, like, loving because of that or in spite of that. Where, like, because Jessa is in the relationship and doesn't have any money, she's, like, kind of a gold-digging whore. 
That's um, a really good point. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that they were both in this episode. I'm sure that was purposeful by Lena. Definitely. I mean, something we, I think, have touched on lightly in the past is how this show does a really good job of talking about money and, like, just people's finances living in New York in their 20s and 30s and how everyone's kind of living these really precarious existences. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that's something that not a lot of stories about young people or stories about people in New York don't really do with such, um, I don't know, uh, elegance. Yeah. I don't remember which writer we talked about last week that talked about class, but the, yeah, I mean, this show's always been way more adept at talking about class than, like, other social issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like I, I, I feel comfortable listening to Lena Dunham talk about uh, class. Less, I don't feel as comfortable uh, with her talking about race. Yeah, true. But that's uh, a really good point, James. Um, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I feel like you know, sex, death, and money. That's what that's girls. Yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. Um, but our final segment, we have two final segments. First, which girl are you in these episodes? So we've established you're kind of a Hannah Shosh cusp, Marnie rising. The world says I'm Marnie, so I guess I'm going with that. <laughs> Everyone I know. Oh my god. You identified with Marnie the most in these episodes? Um, yeah, I think just like the like the aimlessness of what she's doing. Mm-hmm. In these episodes, like, that she's kind of, like, doing this Booth Jonathan thing because, like, I mean, she doesn't express this in this episode, but, like, because she, like, doesn't know what else to do with her life, basically. Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of also the, re- like, and also as a way to get back at an ex. I think that, yeah, Marnie is my girl for these two episodes. Totally. Drew, who who did you feel? So, I... Maybe a hybrid, like, I think Marnie for the same reasons James said, but, like, I also felt a little Jessa-y. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense that, like, the relationships I've had have been, like, toxic or, like, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm very conflict-avoidant. Like, the screaming and all this was, like, very harrowing for me. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've definitely gotten, like, critiques before, let's say, about being, like, really like capricious or callous and like not super serious about things and like the tub crying I, I was like oh yeah like that I've cried in the tub many a time so definitely definitely a hybrid of those two this week how about you Julia um I maybe Hannah like I I don't feel pleasure in saying that but just the begging to be asked to write an article for two hundred dollars I've, I've been there <laughs> i think just a few moments here i um felt like oh god <laughs> is that me or was that me at a point and yeah. the answer is usually yes also you know putting on this dinner party where <laughs> the food's all kind of bad and <laughs> no one really wants to be there and you're just trying to do this display of adulthood Although everyone wants to be at my dinner parties, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) I just don't really cook well. And that's that's why. Our final, final segment is ranking the girls um, from who had the best week to who had the worst week. So James, do you have a ranking? Yeah. Okay, so I think that Shosh had the best week because she said I love you to someone she loves. Even though he's living in her house unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Second is probably... mm, I feel like second is Hannah because she's so self-involved that, like, I feel like she thinks she had a fun experience on Coke when she's actually just, like, destroyed half of her relationships. Then three is Marnie because... I think she's, like, more depressed than she wants to let on with herself. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the worst is Jessa because she's getting divorced. True. 
<laughs> hard does, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I think quibble. you're completely right. Any quibbles or re-rankings? I, what do you think? I have a slight re-ranking here. I, I have Hannah on top this week. Which is for this podcast because like I think you put it so well when you were were like, Oh, I think she thinks she had a really fun time this week. And I'll give her that much. Like we don't yeah. need to give her a lot in this segment. And I think by and large, like the Elijah relationship, at least for now, is I think one that is perfectly fine and healthy to jettison because he is also this like capricious person who is pretty reckless and like his life choices too so like they're probably not a good fit for each other right now so that seems fine i had shoshin number two because like she's in a loving relationship but there's just such a deep well of sadness at the root there that like it just doesn't seem like it's gonna end well and we know that like it doesn't ultimately end super well for them Mm -hmm. i had marnie at third um for reasons already articulated and jessa last because she's getting a divorce so i I agree i agree with all of this so what about you julia um i i think jessa is last because she's getting a divorce as we've as we've all um agreed upon and then maybe hannah because i think she's kind of just continuing to flail and i don't know kind of ruin all her relationships maybe without realizing it and then I want to say Shosh because, you know, I don't know. She is kind of, this is her first relationship and it's he's living with her and it's pretty serious without her meaning for it to be. And then honestly, Marnie might be on top. I, I don't know. She seems like she is uh, figuring out her living alone situation and finding finally, or not living alone, but living apart from Hannah and then figuring out, I don't know, that she shouldn't be with Charlie, even if that means a stint with Booth Jonathan, contemporary artist. Yeah, I mean, she did hook up with Booth Jonathan. We'll give her that. That was... Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Was it? (laughs) I don't know. You know, I think think your Mitsukone is a cutie, but this character, like, would drive me up the wall, like, if I met him in real life. But it's kind of, I mean, it is cool to, like, hook up with a really popular artist at this point in your life. I feel like that, you know, I'll give her that. And she did get to be in that, like, house. Exactly. Yeah, she got locked into, like, like a haunted hayride. (laughs) I guess that's cool. Like, Maybe, Maybe apart from the haunted hayride. It is very, I don't... I don't really have a thesis behind this, but like Marnie getting locked in that exhibit is art pop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! She, in that moment, she was the Koontz, and the Koontz was her. Yes. Oh wow, he really is brilliant. Brilliant, amazing. Well, James, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. We'll have to thank have you back. For- yes, thank you for having me. A couple yeah, seasons from now. Please. Yeah, I mean. Yes. We need to think about which episode you'll connect with in the future. We'll work. Thank out. you. Well, thank you for thinking of me this time. Of course. Love these ups. Yay. Thanks, yeah. everyone, for listening. Thanks, Drew, for being the best co-host. Oh, hush. You're the best co-host. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. <laughs>